All right, here we go. It's the first ever world premiere edition of the Russell Smith Podcast. I know, very creative name for the podcast, right? Hey, if you've got a better idea, let me know. I would love to hear it. All right, so the idea for this podcast is basically to talk to interesting people in and around the Knoxville area where I do my radio show and to do it in an environment where we're sitting face to face and we don't have to take commercial breaks every 10 minutes and all that sort of stuff. Stuff we don't really have time to do on a radio show. So I've got a long list of folks I'm hoping to talk to and hopefully you'll enjoy these. I think they're going to be fun. I'm hoping to crank out one a week or so. We'll see how it goes. Just basically going to do as many as I can and see how it goes. Okay, for my first guest, I wanted to get somebody who's a great talker, somebody who most people who listen to me would know, and somebody with an interesting story to tell. And I'm very happy that Bob Kessling, voice of the Vols, agreed to be my first guest. Bob had big shoes to fill following the legendary John Ward, of course, and he's been doing it for 20 years now, which is hard to believe. One of the nicest guys in broadcasting. Here's my sit down with Bob Kessling. All right, we're here in the office of the Voice of the Vols, Bob Kessling. Bob, it's good to see you. Thanks for taking some time with me today. Anytime, Russell. Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you, man. Um, 20 years. I, yeah. I saw you at the, the state capitol uh, during the SEC tournament getting honored there. Does it seem like 20 years you've been no, doing this? No, it's, it has flown by, and it's it's kind of hard to, to wrap your arms around it. It's gone so quickly, but I guess that's a good sign because that means you're having fun and uh, things are enjoyable and you enjoy coming to work and enjoy doing the game. So, uh, yeah, it's gone by really fast, but it's been fun. Well, I certainly remember, you know, growing up here in East Tennessee and listening to John Ward and when he retired in 98 and you got the job. But you had a a 25-year career in local media before that. Um, You came to UT 1972, a walk-on fullback Originally from Kettering, Ohio. I, right. I was doing my research this morning. Kettering, the hometown of Brady Hoke. Yeah. Former Arkansas we, AD, uh, Jeff Long. Jeff Long. We went to competing high schools. I went to Fairmont West. Okay. And Brady Hoke and Jeff went to Fairmont East. And we okay. were arch rivals. You were rivals. Oh, yeah. We, right. I was uh, younger than those guys. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we you didn't even talk to the guys from Fairmont East. Oh, no. And so when, even when Brady Hoke came here, uh, I even told him, I said, now, you know, I'm, you know, I'm a dragon. You're a falcon. Uh-oh. This ain't going to work out. Really There's good. oil and water. Oh, yeah. We, so we laughed a little bit. But, uh, but we know, you know, we all, we know each other and we, we know the, the coaches we played for and all those type things. So it was, it was really fun to have him here. Well, what, what was it like growing up in, in Kettering, Ohio in the 1960s, I'm thinking? Yeah. Uh, yeah. What, oh, it was great. You know, I, I did all, played football and basketball, ran track, all those things. And, then uh, I had a chance to uh, go to college, and uh, uh, I was not recruited by big schools. I mean, I was looking at going to Ohio Wesleyan or Denison or Muskingum or something like that to go play football. And so I had a buddy whose dad knew Ray Mears because uh-huh. Mears, of course, uh, coached at Wittenberg. And so he was in his uh, his. They were going to come down here and talk to Coach Mears about maybe walking on the basketball team or being a manager on the basketball team. So they said, why don't you come with us? I said, 
Okay. So I'd never been to Tennessee. Didn't know anything about Tennessee. Wow. Was not even on the radar screen. Wasn't Just, thinking about going to Tennessee. And so I came down here and, you know, we drove down I-75 and we got to the stadium and I thought that's really impressive. And so in Stokely, they had uh, uh, Jeff and his dad went down to see Coach Mears. And so I said, well, I'll just walk down to the football office and see, you know, what the process is of walking on maybe here at uh-huh. Tennessee. So I go walking in Coach Bill Battle's office and his secretary's in there. And I said, uh, I'm th- I'd like to know what the process is for walking on here at Tennessee. And she says, I don't know. Would you like to talk to Coach Battle? Well, yeah. And so within five minutes, I'm in Coach Battle's office, unannounced. I don't have a roster to even show I play high school football. I don't have any tapes. I don't have anything. But Coach Battle was really nice, and so we talked. And uh, he said, well, let me walk you down to the freshman running. That's back when they had freshman football. He said, I'll walk you down to the freshman running back room. I said, okay. And so they go down there, Kurt Watson and Don McCleary were the running back coaches on the freshman team. Okay. And so they, Coach Battle introduced them to me, and uh, we they put some film up, and they showed how the fullback worked in the office. And, of course, Condridge Holloway was coming in, so they were going to a lot of the speed stuff, which was not my strength, but they were going to, you know, the speed veer and all that type stuff. And they said, you know, the fullback's really important because you got to block and fake mm-hmm. and all those type things. And I said, well, okay. It was kind of similar to what we were running at our high school. And uh, so they walked me back down to Coach Battle's office, and – Tennessee was recruiting a running back from our league, Troy, Ohio, uh, named Gordon Bell, who went on to play at Michigan. And uh, he was really a great running back at Michigan. So I think Coach Battle kind of knew, at least knew of the league I was in. And, heck, maybe he saw some film or I don't know. But he handed me a workout sheet, and he said, uh, if you uh, get in school, I'm sure he didn't think I could get in school. If you get in school, we'd love to have you as a member of the Tennessee Volunteers. And I went, went, wow. And so I looked at the workout sheet got in school. So now I had to send my dad on it because he's going, well, you know, if you're going to go to a big school, why don't you just walk on at Ohio State? I mean, it's a lot closer. And I said, well, Dad, it's cheaper for me to go out of state to Tennessee than it is to go to Ohio State in-state. And he goes, well, go Vols then. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that, yeah. the, the, the pocketbook, yeah, always the way yeah. to Dad's heart. Yeah, and so I came down here, and uh, I didn't know a single player. on. I mean, I knew some names. Mm-hmm. I knew Condridge Holloway, and I'd heard of Kurt Watson, and and, uh, you know, Conrad Graham and some of these players that were on the team back then. Larry Seavers was coming in. I, I, I'd heard his name. But I I didn't know anybody on the team, and I didn't know any of the coaches, really, except for Kurt Watson, and didn't know anybody in the state of Tennessee. And to think that from 72 to now that uh, what's happened for me in the state, it's just kind of a remarkable story. Yeah, and it's a simple twist of fate. Somebody knew Ray Mears. I mean, did you ever think of it like – what would have happened if you had gone to Ohio State or a smaller school in yeah, Ohio? I, you know, yeah, I, I guess you maybe step back and think what could have happened and what, but I, you know, I don't. That's not very productive. I mean, I've I've just I came here and uh, I've just just kept trying to move forward. I, you know, when I quit, I after I quit playing football, uh, I, I walked uh, went over one night with a bunch of buddies over to the uh, to Bill Meyer Stadium. And went to a Knoxville Sox game. This is back when they were with the White Sox. Uh-huh. And so uh, we were sitting in the stands. There's about 500 people at Bill Myers Stadium. Well, we were going to sit behind the dugout, behind the Sox dugout, and cheer them on and this kind of stuff. Well, that those were the box seats. That's 50 cents more to go to the box. We thought that was outrageous. Yeah. You know, to, you know, play 50 <laughs> cents 50 more for cents, a box yeah. seat. So next thing you know, uh, we go to the to, to the office to uh, 
trying to figure out why we can't just sit down there since there's nobody in the stands, why we just can't sit down there. And I meet Neil Ridley, who's the boss of the the owner of the Knoxville Sox, CNS Laundry there on Magnolia too. And before I walked out of the office, I had talked myself into a, a summer job. Uh, I was the assistant general manager of the Knoxville Sox, the number two man on a two-man staff. Just like that, just walking just in. Just like that. Of, he said, yeah. yeah, you want a job? We're, we're looking for somebody. <laughs> Seriously, that's how it works. Wow. And so about the next day, the next homestand, I mean, I'm putting the flag up, taking tickets, cooking hot dogs, yeah. the whole bit. The, and, the jack of all trades. Yeah, huh? yeah. And I'm you're taking guys to the doctor, taking the uniforms over across the street every morning to CNS Laundry to get them done. And, uh, but, you know, I learned a lot about uh, – because then they had me typing up press releases mm-hmm. and doing the lineups and, you know, all that and working with the umpires. And, and I really loved it. I mean, a kid that loved baseball and suddenly there with all these guys and a bunch of the guys from that, that uh, Knoxville Sox team went on to the big leagues too. So uh, – and I'm still friends with some of them. So it's a, it was kind of a – it was really a great experience. But uh, what I decided to do, maybe if we got more people uh, to come to the games – because I was getting paid a hundred bucks a week or something like that, and, you know, working ninety hours or something like that. I was it was not it was not a profitable no. job hour wise, but but the experience was great. But I thought, you know, if I write up little voicers and call in reports on the games, maybe they'll get more people to the games, and if that happens, maybe I'll get a raise. So I would call every radio station. This is back in the days, uh, back in the 70s, when every radio station had full-time disc jockeys. Sure, yeah, yeah. So I'd call seven or eight radio stations around the Knoxville area, and I'd read them these reports, little 30-second reports. You know, like Mike Squires tonight had a three-run homer for the Sox in the seventh inning as they rally to beat the Savannah Braves 6-3. to three. They'll play again tomorrow night at Bill Meyer Stadium. And, and this is in the days, uh, I mean, there is no internet. There's no, three no, no. TV channels. Radio is a huge, everybody listens. Right. So you're on every right. station in town. Yeah. I mean, that's a, yeah. that's a great way to get your name and your voice out there. Right, right. When, but I wasn't thinking about that. All I was thinking about <laughs> was trying to get a couple get, of more get, bucks uh, out of the yeah, socks. I want to get five more bucks a day out of <laughs> the socks. Go. And so I didn't, I didn't think about, you know, that, that kind of stuff. But uh, suddenly, WIVK calls, and they said, listen, we're looking for a part-time sportscaster. We, we uh, use your reports from the Knoxville Sox. Come over here. We'd like to talk to you about hiring you to do part-time sports. I said, okay. So I go to WIVK, and they hire me. So now I'm working for the ball club. I'm working for WIVK part-time, and I'm going to school full-time. Are you still walking on it at this point? The no, football? no, no. That, I quit. That, that's no, long since yeah, quit. falling by the wayside. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I had to make a – I got – you know, walk-ons get beat up pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, I've heard. Yeah. You had to make a business decision. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, I just decided that I needed to, to – you know, we had freshman football, so we played like seven games when I was a freshman. So, that was a great experience. But, you know, I had to decide, do I really want to commit to this football full-time, knowing that my chances of getting on the field in a varsity game mm-hmm. are probably very slim. Because, you know, every year – back then the recruiting numbers were higher too, so they recruit four or five oh, fullbacks yeah. every year. And, you yeah. know, you're going to fall behind those guys. How many scholarships – you know, these the day and age of 85 scholarships, you can only sign 25. No, it was, no, no, it was no. a little bit different. It was then. more of a Wild West show a little bit. Heck, I think we had – when we started practice, I think we had 85 guys on the freshman team. Wow. Now, they <laughs> that you know, a lot of those guys dropped off. and uh, But uh, still, you know, the numbers were a lot bigger. So uh, – uh, so I'm working, and WIVK calls me, and so I'm working part-time there. But I'm still going to get a baseball job when I, get, when I graduate, which I graduated in 77. 
the summer meetings were going to be in Nashville. I was going to go over to Nashville to get me a job in baseball. Uh-huh. I was going to be start my path as to be a general manager of a major league baseball team. That's that's what what, what my goal was. Front office baseball. You, right. you were going to be John Sherholtz. That's exactly right. right. I was going to be that, and that's and I thought it was going to be a great path. I'd learned so much with working for the ball club that that's that's what I was because I now I'd worked for the Sox for like three or four summers, so I knew a lot about the baseball uh-huh. aspect of it. So I'm getting ready to walk out the door to drive to Nashville, and Bobby Denton, who was running WIVK at the time, said, where are you going? I said, I'm going over to Nashville to try and get a baseball job. He said, why don't you stay here and be our full-time sportscaster at uh, WIVK? Wow. I said, I'll pay you, you, know, pay you, you know, a lot more money. Okay, I'll do that. <laughs> you know? Another simple twist of fate. Yeah, huh? and so, uh, so then I, so I started uh, – I was full-time sportscaster at WIVK and uh, had a blast – and uh, but then in 1980, I'm sitting there thinking. I'm, so I've been I've worked at full time at IVK for about two and a half years, and I'm thinking I got to make some more money, you know. I, and uh, so I'm thinking about going back to the baseball route. But now I'm thinking maybe because I uh, I was now doing uh, they were the Knoxville Blue Jays at that time, and I started doing play by play for the Knoxville Blue Jays because I had the connections. Sure. And Ed Holtz came in as the general manager and. And uh, I knew Ed, and so Ed wanted to know if I if I wanted to do the baseball games. And so I started calling the uh, the Blue Jay games on radio. And Is that your first time behind the microphone? Uh, yeah, I think so. And and during that time, also, uh, WIBK started doing Farragut football. Okay. So I was doing Farragut football on the radio. And now the Blue Jay games weren't on, weren't on another station. They were on WHEL, which I was the old WBIR, which I don't even know what it is right now, but. Uh, so they, those games were um, the old the studios were up on Summit Hill. So I I don't know where that station is now, but we're on W H E L, and uh, so I'm doing the Blue Jay games at night and working for W I B K in the morning, and, uh, it, and 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 everything's great. And then doing Farragut football during the fall, and uh, but then I get the bug. I'm now I'm going to get a yeah. I'm going to get a baseball job to do play by play. And so I'm getting ready to go to the baseball meetings again. Uh-huh. And uh, I get a call from Channel 10. Because, uh, and during that time as well, I started doing Lady Vol basketball. Because at, at WIVK, I mean, just another twist to fate, WIVK back at those days in the mid-'70s didn't have the football games. They weren't the flagship really? station. No. Okay. Didn't have, WNOX had the games. And uh, so because the – uh, WIVK was in Knoxville. You couldn't have two stations in Knoxville. And so uh, WNOX had the games here, but everybody else all over the area had the games. So WIVK at this time, they're still country oh, music. Oh, I mean, that's still t- the Yeah, number the, one the station thing. in yeah. town, big, most powerful station in uh-huh. town. But they didn't have Tennessee sports because they had protected WNOX. Because NOX had been a long time basketball and football. They'd okay. carry the games forever. Yeah. And so IBK was saying, well, what, why can't we be the FM outlet and they be the AM outlet? But they, that, that wasn't working out. And so uh, Bobby Denton decided, well, what we need to do is show them that we really want to do this. So that's why we started doing high school football. And then John Ward came to him and said, why don't you do Lady of All post-game, uh, postseason games? And so they, so they agreed Pat to do that. coaching at, at this point, yeah, it's, it's just starting to take off. Just starting to take okay. off. They'd been to the Final Four the year before. Uh-huh. And so it's 1978 or 79, I guess. And so we're going to do all the post game uh, on WIBK, and it's going to be I'm doing going to do, since I'm the sports director, I'm doing the pregame, 
and halftime and postgame, and John and A.W. Davis are doing the games. And we're bussing to uh, UT Martin or driving to UT Martin in a van and then going down to, over to North Carolina. I mean, it's not very glamorous. No. But, uh, but it, was, it, was, it took off really well. Lady Balls didn't win that year, but uh, they got beat by Delta State down in Cleveland, Mississippi. But uh, they decided they wanted to do the games on radio. And so since I had some experience, then I got a chance to, to do the games. So that's how that started. So you you just keep uh, you, you keep trying I'll every keep time you think you're stuff. out they pull you back in every time you think you're going to go yeah. to the baseball and baseball. pursue that dream yeah. uh, somebody in Knoxville says eh, why don't you come do this yeah come do this and then so uh, but now I'm determined I'm going to get a baseball job well WBIR calls out of the blue for the 1980 football season Scott Sams has just left. And he's gone down to Dallas to be the Dallas Regis Philbin. I mean, he's going to do a morning oh, talk yeah. show and all that kind of stuff. And Scott, you know, he was really popular. He was a local guy okay. uh, who grew up here and was really popular on Channel 10. So that was going to be a ch- tough job. But I'd never been on television before. I'd never – I'd done post-game on the uh, Bill Battle show uh, and then the Johnny Major show, done locker room interviews. But that's basically my only TV experience. And so uh, I just figured it was somebody that was you know, a buddy or somebody just called Judy Jenkins, who was the the uh, news director there, and said, you need to give this guy a shot. You know, he's doing Lady Ball basketball, and he's been on IVK, and he's got a, kind of a name in town, and, you know, he might be good. So they brought me over there, and uh, I didn't – there was no way in the world they are going to hire me. I've never been on television yeah, in my life. No formal training, no, no screen tests, no, no, no real. Nothing, nothing. And so I just took my script from that afternoon at WIVK and went over to Channel 10, and I didn't wear a coat and tie. I mean, that's <laughs> how confident I was they were yeah. not going to hire me. And so uh, they, uh, we get, they get done with the 6 o'clock newscast, and uh, they said, okay, sit down here and uh, let's, let's see how you look. And Is it a teleprompter and back then? I, no, I, well, they had it, but they said, but I didn't know how to use a teleprompter. <laughs> so I just had my script, you know. And you know how you are on radio. Okay. You, you make little bullet points and you just kind of Did you talk. have to write it before you came or did no. they just hand, they hand to you? Hey, no, no, no. This. No, I took what I, I – I had a WIVK that afternoon. I took oh, okay. my afternoon right. sports script yeah. and just brought it over there, which I just, you know, you just scribble down notes and then you talk through the, the note. That's at least the way I did it. So it wasn't a formal script. They said, well, we need you to go three minutes. I said, okay, well, all right. I'll get as close as I can. So the red light comes on, and Russell, you know this. Some days that your mouth works really good, and yeah. some days nothing works. Yeah. You know, you I have stumble. a lot of those days. Yeah, <laughs> you stumble and bumble. And because there was no pressure on me, I, I couldn't have done it any better. It just came. It just, just flowed. It. Just, just nailed it. And so I get done, and Judy Jenkins comes out and says um, – well, you did pretty good. Said, you want to do it again? I said, well, I, I don't think I can do it any better. Said, if it's okay with you, it's okay with me. I'm, you know, because I'm not going to waste their time. They're not going to hire me. I said, did I go too long? And they said, well, you no, you went 257. I was supposed to go three minutes. Went 257. Yeah. I think that impressed them a little pretty bit. Pretty close. <laughs> yeah. So they said, well, we'll uh, we thank you for coming out, and we'll talk to you. And I didn't think another thing yeah. about it. I'm uh, thinking, so much so for that. <laughs> call my wife, and I said, let's go out to get, you know, get some dinner, and we'll, you know. Well, they called back the next day, and they said, uh, we want to offer you the job. And I said, what job? So we want you to be the sports director. And I'm going, sports director? I've never – what, you just run the department or what? Yeah. No, we want you to be the 16, 11 o'clock anchor. I've never been on television. What are you guys doing? you guys got to be crazy. <laughs> and they said, well, we think you got some potential, and your screen tests look pretty good, and you sounded good. And 
So we want to offer you the job. So I so I went over there the next day, and sure enough, they offered me. I got uh, I was making ten thousand dollars a year at WIVK as the sports director, mm-hmm. and so I asked Bobby Denton. I said, "How much should I ask for when I go to Channel 10? He said, "Well, they won't double your salary. Ask him for sixteen thousand." I said, "You think they'd pay me sixteen thousand yeah. dollars a year?" Shoot and, your shot, Bob. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> so I'm all confident, and uh, so I go in there and I said sixteen thousand dollars a year, and they just say sign, done, it, sign it. Yeah. And, so then, I, and then you're thinking, oh man, I just uh, dead, <laughs> dead, dead. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and that's pretty much the way it was. I probably could have gotten twice that, but I didn't care. You know, I didn't care. I thought there was, a, I couldn't believe they were hiring me. So that's how that started, and uh, so that's how I started Channel Ten in 1980. So. Uh, there's kind of a pattern here going. I mean, I I haven't applied for a job yet in my life. And, um, and that continued, uh, in 89, I've been at channel 10 for nine years and, uh, get, you know, getting a little restless is this is, this is all this is going to be what I need to do. And I talked to Pat Summit, some other folks and. You're doing Lady Ball basketball full time. At that, at that point, they're carrying all the games. Yeah. So you a lot of radio play by play, right. thirty plus games a year. Yeah. So I'm I'm doing uh, I'm st- still doing uh, some. Mike Keith and I were doing the Knoxville Blue Jay baseball games. Okay. So when I was still on, uh, and then we started a uh, cable station. So Mike was doing talk shows on that. So that's kind of how Mike got his start. And then he went to WIVK and then went on to the Titans, doing high school football mm-hmm. and everything. So uh, Mike and I were doing the Blue Jay games, and I'm doing Tennessee baseball on the radio. Just, you know, just doing everything, just trying to keep, uh, you know, trying to build up my play-by-play. And uh, but I'm kind of getting, am I, am I going to have to keep doing this the rest of my life, or what's what's going to happen? And, and so I talked to Pat Summit. I took her out to lunch, and uh, she had been, of course, people know to the Final Four seven times without winning the championship. And so a lot of people thought she was going to kind of be the Buffalo Bills. Uh, of, what, what year is this? This would have been 80, 87. Okay. Yeah, she won she won her the first late one. 90s. With, no, she, or late 80s was when yeah, she won the this, first. She won her first one in 87. Yeah. It was the Tacoma, I think. Or uh, yeah. Was, yeah, it might have been Tacoma. Uh-huh. And uh, But anyway, she won the first one and beat Auburn out the, in Tacoma. And uh, so I took her to lunch. And I said, uh, Pat, you know, I thought you were going to quit. Uh, coaching after you won the Olympics in 84. I mean, what's better, bigger than winning the gold medal in the Olympics? And But what kept you going? And she said, well, you know, I knew we were close. And so I went back and analyzed who we were recruiting and how we were coaching and the nutrition. And I knew I had to work harder than my assistants. And, I, you know, I just broke everything down to figure out why we weren't winning, why we were getting close every year we weren't winning. And so – so it was effective. We finally got over the hump. And I said, wow, that's great. And so I wasn't there to have her call anybody or to, to go do any f- special favors for me. I basically just needed kind of a motivational kick in the rear. Yeah, exactly. That's what I needed. And, <laughs> that, so, and who better than uh, Pat right, Summit to deliver that? Right. And so we were down in the old soup kitchen or soup barn, whatever it is, uh, on, on Market Square is we, where we went. And uh, – I'll never forget it. We were sitting there, and she's across the table from me. And I said, you know, I've just I've been doing the kind of the same stuff, and I just need to – what I was asking her, I guess, basically, or pleading my case was, I can't believe that CBS and ABC and ESPN doesn't see my greatness. You know, why they aren't beating down yeah. my door. You know, one of those type uh-huh. deals. And uh, so I kind of laid it out for her. I just I – just, I don't want to be doing 
this ex- I want to be more challenged, I guess, is what I was trying to tell. So at this time, are you sending out uh, reels no, to. No, no, no. I have, no. Not, is, not, was that how it's done, or did they just I, come and pluck you out? I don't know. I didn't, I had no idea how it worked. Uh huh. But, but I wouldn't, you know, I was satisfied at Channel 10. I'm not sending out tapes, and I, I wasn't one of those guys. Okay. I hadn't applied for a job yet in my life. Why would I start now, you know? <laughs> That's not, uh, that hadn't worked so no, far. No, I, uh, I haven't applied for anything. Uh, so, uh, so I just told Pat. I said, I just, uh, I need, just, I need to figure out how to, to get out of this, what I thought was a rut. And she was sitting across the table from me with that stare and those blue eyes, and she goes, I don't know anything about broadcasting, and I don't know anything about the politics of how they hire and fire people. But my guess is the reason you've been doing the same stuff for seven years is you're not good enough. <laughs> Well, just lay it out for you, uh, huh? She hit me in the head with a hammer. I just went, what? You know, I wasn't expecting that. Pat, that's not the kind of encouragement <laughs> no, I'm looking I for said, here. <laughs> she said, I think you're good. Said, I, you know, we, they put your play-by-play over the top of our game film so we know what the score is and all that kind of stuff. And I listen to all your games, and I think you do a great job. But somebody doesn't think you're doing very good, or you'd be, you'd be getting phone calls. Wow. You, you need to get better. You need to go back tonight. You need to look at your sports cast tonight. You need to listen to the next game. You need to go back and listen to past tapes. And you need to get better. And once you get better, then you maybe you get a call. And I thought, well, that's pretty – you know, she's a farm girl from Henrietta, Tennessee. And it's, did you bale the hay or didn't you bale the hay? Did you, you know, did you milk yeah. the cows or did you – you know, so there's no gray area with her. And she's just about – the same way she approached her players. you got to be better. you got to get better. So I took that to heart, and I went back and started trying to get better with every sports cast. And then the next year, Jefferson Pilot calls and says, you know, we need somebody to do interviews. How, there was a great story, really. The SEC tournament was here in 89. I remember it well. Yeah, yeah. I was in arena. third grade. My dad came and got me out of school, uh, Sequoia Elementary, to go to the SEC tournament. I thought it was the, the biggest event Oh, it was ever. great. It was yeah. absolutely fabulous. And so uh, – the, about a week before the tournament, I get a call from Jimmy Rayburn, who was the executive producer of Jefferson mm-hmm. Pilot. And he goes, Bob, here's the deal. One of our announcers uh, has got something else to do. And so we need somebody to do interviews in between games and then uh, fill, you know, do post-game interviews and, and fill. And uh, you have to be at every single game. And the only reason I'm calling you is because Channel 10 is carrying the games there in Knoxville. I don't have to put you up in a hotel. Don't have to pay your per diem, and I don't have to pay, uh, pay a plane ticket to fly in there. And that's the only reason I'm hiring you. Well, Can you yeah, work? They're not going to stroke your ego any, huh? No. And they said, <laughs> and he didn't tell me how much I was getting paid. I didn't care. Yeah. I said, yeah, th- that's great. Was Jefferson Pilot, uh, in, for younger folks who might be listening, like, Jeff, this is the precursor to the SEC network. This exactly. is where uh, the games that weren't on broadcast network TV aired back in the uh, 1990s, as I recall. Um, uh, had that been going for a while yeah, oh, when yeah, you got this yeah, call? Yeah, okay. yeah, they were. They were. Uh, you know, you used to, it was TVS, and then uh, uh, then it was Lincoln Financial. Then it turned out to then Jefferson Pilot, mm-hmm. or maybe Lincoln Financial might have been after yeah, Jefferson Pilot. But but yeah, there were uh, the the Jefferson Pilot games were syndicated. That means over the air stations in the southeast carried the games and they were football was at twelve thirty on saturday first game out of the shoot mm-hmm. and you know back then there were only three games on television because yeah. there was the jefferson pilot game at twelve thirty, then there was a cbs game and then an espn game at night and the rest of the games weren't on television mm-hmm. so and the thing that was great those twelve thirty games 
uh, all the guys who were playing at night would watch those games. And so you kind of became a little bit of a rock star a little bit, at least among the players and the coaches, because everybody watched that 1230 game. And back then, too, uh, I know this is hard to believe, not everybody had cable television. No. And only about at that time, I think the it was about 60% of the country had cable. So there were a lot of people that uh, couldn't watch the ESPN game at night, for example, because they, they just didn't get it. They didn't mm-hmm. have cable. So the two big games were the Jefferson Pilot game at 1230, uh, football game, and then the CBS game. And uh, and TBS was in there for a while, yeah. too. TBS was doing a, a game. And then so they, JP is carrying the SEC tournament the year uh, 89? Right, it was here. right. So, Je- so Jefferson Pilot's carrying the tournament, and they call me up just to do pregame and, and uh, halftime. And so I, apparently I did well enough. Uh, during those games because they asked me back the next year and then the next year um, to do the tournament and then the next year I started doing uh, play-by-play and then they had a we did a 30-minute pregame so my first play-by-play game was um, Tom Hammond was um, going to um, do go off and do uh, some stuff Olympic stuff for NBC so he couldn't do a game and it was uh at the end of that season, uh, 91, I guess it was, it was Tennessee at Kentucky. It was Farmer and Pelfrey and Patino and th- those those guys. Oh, yeah, the the Unforgettables. I, Unforgettables, uh-huh. yeah. And then Tennessee at Allen Houston, and it's senior day at Rupp Arena. And uh, I'm out there. I'd done the pregame show, 30-minute pregame show, and I'm sitting there at midcourt. My color guy is Dan Issel, still oh, the all-time wow. leading – Okay, uh, a a legend. I mean, down, right. he's a rock star in Lexington, yeah. Kentucky. Oh, yeah. A yeah. rock star all over the SEC still. I mean, still the all-time leading scorer in Kentucky history. So I'm sitting there at midcourt. Kaywood, it's Kaywood Ledford, the legendary Kentucky uh-huh. announcer's final game. Oh, wow. As the voice of the Wildcats. So he's sitting to my left. John Ward is sitting to my right. I'm at midcourt. I got Dan Issel. They're playing my old Kentucky home. It's Tennessee and Kentucky. And I just said to myself, you know, if I get hit by a bus – when I'm leaving Rupp Arena, this is going to be okay. I'll be I'll be fine. You, you've come a long way from the lunch and Pat Summit telling you yeah. you're not good enough. Yeah, exactly. So it was a it was just it was an out of body experience. That's a great moment. Yeah. And I was just looking around. I said, how how many guys would love to be sitting here at this oh. very special moment? And uh, so it was really it was really great. And uh, so I was able to do uh, uh, do the SEC games in in football and basketball while I was still working at channel 10 and, and I was, heck I was, Pat's still wanted me to do the lady ball games when I could. So I couldn't yeah. do weekend games, but I do the weekday games too. So, so you're doing busy time. Yeah. I mean, so, and, and that's when, when I started remembering you uh, from WBIR and uh, you're doing the JP games and, and making a name for yourself. This is in the early 1990s. Does, John Ward's status as voice of the Vols, we, we, you know that he's not getting any younger at mm-hmm. that point. Is that even on your radar what might happen when John Ward hangs it up? No, I, I hadn't even thought about that. You know, and I forgot, you know, I was working on the Vol Network too. So I was John Ward's spotter for 15 years. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's I didn't have much free time, did I? That's no. <laughs> <laughs> but I was John Ward's spotter. So I'd sit next to John during the games and I'd spot for him. And I learned so much about just preparation and mm-hmm. how much it t- – I mean, John would have – he'd have a little uh, clipboard there, and he'd have a stack of notes. He didn't use 20% of them, but he still had them in case he needed them. 
And that's what – and so he taught – you know, he always told me it's about preparation. You, If something happens, you better be prepared. You might not use it, but you better be prepared. Uh-huh. And he said uh, – always told me, when you get tired of doing the prep work, you need to quit. And I think that played in kind of as part of his decision that he just got tired of doing all the it, the grind, the grind of it. Yeah. So I I'd known a lot about uh, how to prepare. So I started working for John when I was in college, back when I was a student here. Uh, became the film editor in the Bill Battle Show too. So uh, got paid twenty five bucks a game, and Ward said I was overpaid. I would just clip out the little <laughs> flash, uh, the, the camera stops in the uh, the film, and I'd clip those out and then glue them back together. But I got to sit there and watch John, you know, write the script for the TV sure. shows. And, and then I'd go with him. We used to tape the TV shows at midnight over at uh, Channel 6. And so I'd, you know, do the game all day long. I'd spot for Ward. I'd go back over there, and, and then I'd do the – get the film ready to go. And then I'd ride with Ernie Robertson and John. We'd go over to uh, Channel 6, and we'd tape the game at midnight. Then they got drivers. There was no satellite back then. They had to be hand-delivered to yeah. the station. Yeah, they'd get a driver – who would drive it to Nashville and Memphis wow. and then turn around. Had to get it there by in the morning because the show ran, you know, that the morning. And then they'd have uh, another driver that would go to Chattanooga and Atlanta. And then they'd have one to go to Tri-Cities and Asheville. And, and they'd be, you know, students. And they'd be – we'd uh, they'd duplicate the tapes at uh, Channel 6 and they'd have the kids there ready to, to drive. The, yeah. <laughs> the, drive the car uh, gassed up and ready to ready go. To huh? Got ready to get to, to Memphis and yeah, yeah. as quickly as possible. Yeah. So, uh, but so anyway, I, so I know, I, I knew John and, and, uh, and worked with John and learned a lot from John, uh, all those years, uh, working on the football broadcasts. But then when, uh, Jefferson pilot came along, um, in 92, I think is when, uh, the, we started doing the football games. Uh, then I had to give up the Vol Network to do the football games. So, uh, uh, but no, I had not talked to uh, to I n- I never talked to John about the job. Never even never even broached my. I I was very happy with what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Doing JP stuff. Uh, I was busy. Uh, Channel Ten had turned out to be a really good you know job. We were really a dominant television station with Bill Williams and Edie Ellis sure. and Margie Eisen. And, you know, our numbers were off the chart. I really enjoyed what I was doing. So I, I did not actively pursue uh, the Tennessee job at all. Ever any thoughts about leaving Knoxville, doing something uh, in a bigger market or on a national scale? No, uh, not really, because uh-huh. I was uh, – you know, I think sometimes I would see a bunch of guys when I was at Channel 10 itching just to get to a different market or a bigger market or and I kept telling the guys it's not about the market it's about the job if you've got a great job keep your great job don't go to another and you can go there's a whole litany of guys from Knoxville that tried to go to be a big fish you know in a big market didn't work out doesn't work huh and uh and so I just I was always waiting for you know a lot of guys would want to go I know one person I worked with, uh, she wanted to go. She got a job. There was an offer in San Jose, California. She wanted to go to San Jose. She thought that would be great. And I said, well, is it, an, is it the number one station? Well, no, they're number four, but they're, you know, they're trying to build. They're, yeah, they're yeah. coming up. want to want to build something big. Yeah. So I said, well, okay. I said, uh, you know, best of luck to you. Well, that lasted about eight months. Oh. Yeah, so – 
I always and look TV at, is not like, you, oh, that didn't work out. We'll give you your old job back. Come on yeah, back. Yeah. They, but, you know, when you, uh, when you have kids and all that kind of in a family, then, you know, it changes everything. And uh, I just I, – I, I, I never sent out a resume. I didn't go looking for a job. I figured if there was a better job out there uh, that it would come find me. But I was perfectly happy. My wife was perfectly happy here in Knoxville. She didn't want to move the kids. Uh, I made a vow to them that once they got into to middle school that we would stay. I was not going to move them because I just don't think that's fair to, uh-huh. to kids. And uh, You know, my parents divorced when I was in fourth grade, and uh, we were in Texas at the time. I was born in Dallas. So we were in Texas at the time, and I remember it was a week into fourth grade, and uh, my mom came in and threw down a couple of suitcases on our beds, and I had a brother and a sister. They said, put, us, put everything you can in the suitcase. We'll get the rest of it later. Oh, wow. And got us in a car, and we drove up to Dayton, Ohio, because that's where my mom and dad were from. We drove up to Dayton. And uh, my sister and I adjusted to it pretty well. My, my brother was going – back then they had, you know, for one through six, they had junior high. And he was going in that from sixth grade to seventh grade. Mm-hmm. Suddenly he doesn't have any friends. Oh, man. And it was – and I just saw how tough that was on my brother. So are you the youngest – I'm in the middle. You're I'm in the middle. Okay, the middle child. Yeah. So I told I told my wife, I said, we're not going to do that to our kids. I mean, once they get to, to middle school, we're we're going to get them through middle school and high school. So I wasn't looking at all to move anyplace. That's great. And, and you've been here since – I mean, you came in, again, on a whim, 1972, haven't left. So tell me about um, – about John Ward yeah. and, and the Vol Network. Obviously, you've been in Knoxville for a long time at this point. You know everybody. You mm-hmm. know all the folks at the Vol Network. They know you very well. Um, as I recall, there was a, a search. It was a, a competitive job. I'm sure there, there were a lot of people who wanted that job. How, how did the transition to Voice of the Vols come about? Uh, I had not talked to Coach Dickey at all during the year. I never sent a tape in. I never sent a resume in. I didn't even know if I was a candidate. Was it his decision? Uh, apparently. <laughs> apparently. Uh, Looking back on it, yeah, probably. Apparently. Uh, but I didn't think it was fair because I had already had a job at Channel 10 and with Jefferson Pilot, and I wasn't going to go searching for this job because I, I knew that if I gave up the Jefferson Pilot job, there'd be 300 tapes in the next day. And uh-huh. I knew if I gave up the Channel 10 job – there'd be 300 tapes in the next day. So I knew I had a pretty good uh, pretty good thing going. Was it a thing where, I mean, I would think that Voice of the Falls is a pretty big gig. Sure. I would think the people at WBR and Jefferson Pilot would, they wouldn't have any qualms about you pursuing that, would they? I don't know. I'd never ask them. <laughs> I'd never <laughs> well, ask That's them. probably a good policy. Yeah, and so uh, how it happened, uh, the I had not talked to Coach Dickey at all during the year. I mean, we I'd interviewed him for stories, and mm-hmm. we'd, see each other at football and basketball games the subject never came up that whole year never came up didn't mention it to him he didn't mention it to me and uh, so I didn't know if I was a candidate I didn't know if I wanted to be a candidate didn't know who his candidates were it was the Monday morning after John's last game the last basketball game which I think was on a Saturday might have been a Sunday but I think it was on Saturday and I get a call at 7 30 in the morning at home from coach Dickey he said I want to talk to you about this job I said, can you be in my office at 9 o'clock? I said, yeah. So I came to his office, and uh, we sat there. He said, are you interested in the job? And I said, well, I'm interested in talking to you about it. 
And he said, uh, well, here's the deal. We, we want to have a guy that we bring in-house because we want to have a little more control over the announcer. Because, you know, John was a freelance guy. So he didn't do Big Orange Caravans and didn't do a lot of things because um, – They wanted to integrate the, the next guy more into right. the fabric of right. the, everything the AD was doing. Right. They wanted to have somebody there that – I guess maybe from Coach Dickey's point of view, also a little more control – that uh, you know, not that not that they've ever told me what to say on the air, but you also kind of know that uh, you don't need to be ultra critical of uh, things. You know, just, you just need to be a reporter. Just report what's going on uh-huh. and be fair, and don't go out of your way to to uh, editorialize and those types. Okay. So I think they just wanted to make sure they had a little more control. So, was there any uh, – did did Ward ever go off script? I mean, was there any other oh, – yeah. any friction with – Oh, yeah. Really? There, there were a couple of times that uh, he made some editorial comments about uh, the Lady Vols and a few things that uh, kind of uh, uh, rubbed R- some people the wrong yeah. way. But, you know, he was so powerful that it didn't matter. <laughs> well, you know? Yeah. We, you get to that level and it's yeah. just – what are you going to do? Yeah. You're, You're going to suspend Ward. him for three games because he said, you know. Oh, there would have been a revolt. <laughs> yeah. You'd have people uh, – you think yeah. Shiano Sunday was bad. Yeah, exactly. Suspend John Ward, see what happens. Yeah. So uh, – but I think they just want to have a little bit more control. And, again, they have never – Coach Dickey, uh, Dave Hart, Philip Fulmer, uh, John Curry, all the guys I've worked with have never told me what to say on the air. That's great. And they've never said you can't say this or can't say that, but you just have to kind of know a little bit. And I'm not I'm not a guy that's going to be out there trying to stir things up. I I view my job as to be a reporter, and I don't think people really care what I think, what my opinion is. Yeah, they want to know what I know and what's going on on the floor. I'll leave the opinions to Bert and to Tim Priest and that kind of stuff. But I'm so anyway. So I going to talk to Coach Dickey on that Monday. And he kind of lays out the guidelines and wants to know if I'm interested. And he tells me, you know, if I'm going to take the job, said I've got to give up Jefferson Pilot. I can't, you know, freelance. I, you know, that, that he gives me. We're we're hiring you to be a full time employee. This right. is your job, right? And so we don't. Not saying that you can't do some things like for Westwood One, which I've done in the past, but you have to get that approved. And I said, well, that's that's fair enough. And uh, so then he, so that was on Monday, and he said, come in Wednesday, and we will continue the talks okay i said okay and so wednesday he was gonna basic wednesday was gonna we were gonna talk money and you know what terms of the deal and so uh i come back in wednesday and um he we we sit there and talk a little bit more and he wants to know what it's going to take for me to come and and uh so we kind of lay things out a little bit and uh, he says uh, all right said we'll uh, i'll have you an offer on friday I said, okay. All the meat, the whole while, and Russell, I, I guess I hadn't brought this up. When John uh, announced his retirement, I went to Channel 10 and I told him, uh, I will sign a long-term contract with you at Channel 10 if you give me X amount of money and you don't mess around with my JP schedule. Because they had, we'd had a little friction with they took me off a JP game late and I, that really made me mad because we'd had it set. So I, and I said, I don't want to work weekends in the summer. I was working a lot of weekends in the summer, and okay. I was just wearing myself out a little bit on that. So I said, I need money. I don't, want to, I don't want you to mess with my JP schedule. I was thankful they let me do the JP games. There sure. are not a lot of TV stations that wouldn't let me do it. Really? Well, you know, a lot of guys, they want their sports guy there. You know, I miss Friday night football because mm-hmm. I was out doing JP games. So there are a lot of guys, a lot of stations that wouldn't want their sports anchor gone on Friday nights. Uh, wouldn't it be um – 
good branding for the station to have your guy on right. a syndicated right that's thing. what that's that, what you thought at the time. Well, no that's no, <laughs> but my my the gn that let me do it jim hart that's what he thought okay he thought it was yeah. a great marketing tool that you know we're sure. carrying the games and our sports guys doing the games and um but i told them i said if you meet these terms uh i'll go ahead and sign a long-term contract with you and i won't even and i, I don't know whether UT's going to ask me to do the job or not, but that's I'll go ahead and sign. And I think they got a little miffed that I was trying to maybe dictate terms to them. So we could create then, a little uh, bargaining war, yeah, uh, yeah. bidding war over. Yeah, and yeah. I wouldn't bid. I said, this is what I want. I, you know, and, and so I figured I was rolling the dice a little bit, but I thought, you know, I've got a great job. And then this UT job now is out here. And uh, so that whole time we're – Coach Dickey's not talking to me. I'm still telling Channel 10, I will sign this extension. Because my contract was up in April, I think. I okay. said, I'll sign this contract. and, uh, and Which would have taken you out of the running taken for me out of the UT balls. Taken me out of the whole deal. But I you know, just wanted some security at that time. But did I mean, did you have a preference? Like what you're talking about, what's the better job? Yeah. Did you have a preference between the two? I no. Mean, you probably didn't know too much about. Yeah. I mean, you know – John Ward and what he meant to this community, right. you knew that this was going to be yeah. a huge deal. Well, I will tell you this. During that uh, time, a lot of people and a lot of broadcasters came up to me and said, are you going to? Are you interested in the Tennessee job? I said, well, I'm interested in talking to him about it. He said, oh, well, don't, you, you don't need to take that job. I said, why not? I said, well, you don't want to be the guy that replaces John Ward. So that's a death sentence. <laughs> yeah. I said, you know, people are going to hate you and people aren't going to like you and, and people are, you know, it's – I said, but it's a great job. He said, well, you know, be the, be the next guy. Well, I said, well, the next guy might be 25 years down yeah, the road. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so I didn't listen to those. I mean, and these were some pretty big-time broadcasters uh -huh. in the conference and some other places. And and every all the broadcasters told me, don't take it. Don't – you don't even need to mess with it because it's uh, – it's, you just can't follow the guy. I mean, you can't follow a legend. It mm -hmm. just doesn't work. Did that play into your thinking at no, all? Oh, sure, sure, mm -hmm. sure. So, anyway, uh, back to where we were. Channel 10 never agreed to terms. And uh, Coach Dickey on Friday, uh, I walked. he had a package there waiting for me for with the, uh, with the agreement. And uh, so I took it home and uh, put it on the couch, didn't open it. And told, told Channel 10 that – and I was up front with Channel 10 the whole time. As soon as Coach Dickey called me, I was up front with him saying, listen, Coach Dickey's called and we're talking. And But I gave you my word, if you meet those terms that we came up with – and they weren't outlandish terms. said, if you meet these terms, and, and I'll go ahead and sign with Ch Channel 10 for an extension. You've got the offer yeah. to be John Ward's replacement right. sitting on your couch. You haven't looked at it, looked and you're at. still considering – Taking the well, w because I gave him my word. I yeah. gave him my word. I said, if you meet these demands, I will sign okay. with you, and I won't. And I won't even talk. And um, but I never, I never heard from him. And um, so I told Coach Dickey, I give him, give him my word on Monday. And so I had a, a lawyer who was helping me through. He's, he's not an agent. He was just going to help me with the contractual mm -hmm. terms of the deal. So I, I kept that uh, offer all weekend. Never looked at it. I was scared really? to look at it. Well, I was scared to look at it. Because what happens if they didn't come up with what I was asking? You know, I'm playing a little bit of roulette here. And uh, what happens if they don't come up with it? So I get the uh, – first thing Monday morning, uh, I get the package and I take it down to my attorney's office. And I throw it across the table at him. 
And uh, he starts going through it. And he said, did you ask for this? I said, yeah. Did you ask for this? I said, yeah. Did you ask for this? I said, yeah. I said, it's all there. Everything you asked for. Coach Dickey's giving it to you. And you haven't even looked at the bottom line at this point. No, I, I mean, you have, you have an idea ballpark, yeah, what we're talking yeah. well, about. Well, I know but, what I asked, you know, yeah. what we kind of talked about. But he, he said, yeah, everything you asked for, okay. he's got it. And I said, wow. And then he gave me the best bit of advice. He said, uh, now you know this is over. We're not negotiating anymore. You, 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 you Coach Dickey. This you, is the offer. There's no yeah. go back and. Yeah. yeah. Coach Dickey, you, Coach Dickey asked what's going <clears> to <throat> take for you to come here. He gave it to you. So this is over. Mm -hmm. You're going to be the next voice of the Tennessee Volunteers. I said, I, I, you're right. So I got in the car, came over to Coach Dickey's office, shook his hand, and uh, then went over to Channel 10 and told him that I was going to UT. Wow. And it was interesting. They had a – Jeff Lee had a package, I guess the offer that they were going to make, probably my file, my behavioral file while I was at Channel uh -huh. 10, rather thick. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, it's a problem. We had, we, had some, we had some good times at oh, Channel yeah, 10. So the, this is the Anchorman yeah, era. We had some, right. Yeah, we had some uh, – we pulled a few pranks that kind of got written up and all that stuff. But uh, so anyway, they had the offer there, and I said uh, – and Jeff Lee was the general manager, and he went to give me the package. And I said, Jeff, I hate to tell you, you know, I appreciate the offer, but I've just taken the job at Tennessee. And he didn't say a word. He put the package back under his arm and extended his right hand. And he said, Congratulations. That's, so that was it. Yeah. I mean, it's they, a pretty amazing story. Yeah. You know, Russ, in our business, it's very rare that you ever have leverage, and it's very rare that you actually have two offers that you really can't decide uh -huh. which one is better. And I was in a position there to um, to be just really weigh what was best for my family. You know who swayed it for me? Um, I finally had the uh, I was smart enough to ask my wife what she thought. And she said, which still rings in my ear, she said, your kids are going to be in high school, and they'll be gone soon. Wouldn't you rather be tailgating with them after a Tennessee football game instead of being in an airport trying to get home from Starkville, Mississippi? Wow, yeah. It's do you get to, to do that? that? Do you get to tailgate? Or it's uh, yeah, we get to see them. They come to the games, uh -huh. and they're both uh, – both my daughters are in town. They have their own families now, but they're both in town, so we get to see them. So that was really the – if there was anything that was going to sway it, if, if they were both equal, that was going to sway it, that uh, you didn't have to travel on the weekends and you could be here and uh, – you know, there is some travel involved, but it's a lot easier being on chartered airplanes than it is going through airports yeah. every every week. Yeah, no doubt about it. And you, I guess, you probably get to travel with the team and everything. Yeah. The arrangements are made and taken care of. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it, it's probably a, it, it sounds like certainly a pretty good job. So, and you've been, uh, you know, you talk about consistency. I think uh, Tim Priest and Bert, they've been with you since the beginning, yeah. right? I mean, that's that's remarkable that both your color guys have have been with you the entire time you know another remarkable thing i mentioned uh and you mentioned the state house deal i brought that up there too uh for 50 over 50 years at the vol network everybody that has sat in the chairs have been university of tennessee alums really? there's no other network you know john and bill both were tennessee okay. graduates yeah. and then tim and bert and tim priest and i are all uh, we're sure. all UT graduates. I, th there's no other network that can say really? they've got 50, over 50 years of uh, UT graduates doing their game. So it's it's we're proud of that. I mean, it's pretty remarkable and uh, take a lot of pride in the network. And uh, but 
yeah, it's it's you know the the games mean something to us because of the fact that you know we all played here. Although I played briefly, but I still played sure. the Orange Shirt. And uh, uh, I tell Coach Fulmer all the time, you know, my stats on the freshman team, I had nine carries for forty yards and caught a pass for seven yards. And with those gaudy numbers, I can't believe you didn't give me the ball more. <laughs> you were a dual threat, huh? Yeah, I yeah. can't believe that you didn't use me more. So he laughs about that. Um, so what, life is good now. I know yeah. um, uh, you had uh, a cancer scare a couple mm-hmm. of years ago. Is, is, is that yeah, being managed? Yeah, I, I had a uh, T-cell lymphoma uh-huh. situation. And uh, one thing I learned as well, we have wonderful doctors, cancer people here in town. Dr. Hanna over at UT Medical Center really helped me. And uh, so we got that under control and did some treatment, and I'm fine with that. So uh, everything's good. Life's good. Great. Family doing well. Everybody's doing great. Kids the- are growing up, huh? It's yeah. a long, long time since uh, they've been in high school. Yeah. they. Uh, we got two grandkids now. Oh, wow. Great. Jack and George, which is great. I also did a thing that uh, was really a life-changing thing for me. Uh, there was a uh, guy came in here sitting in the same seat you're in, and uh, – several years ago, asked me if I wanted to be a big brother. And uh, they were looking for guys to be big brothers, wanted to know if there was anybody in the athletic department I knew that might be a candidate. And I said, well, I'll ask around a little bit. And he said, well, what about you? Oh, I'm too busy. I just, <laughs> I, I appreciate you asking, but I'm just too busy. Well, I went that night uh, home and I watched, uh, I was watching a Reds game on TV and it was like 12 to two in the seventh inning. And Mm -hmm. I'm going, what am I doing? This is just a waste of time. And so I called big brothers, big sisters the next day. And I said, uh, send me a kid. So they sent me William large. He was going to Whittle Springs at that time. He was in sixth grade. And, uh, so we got together once a week, every week, never missed. And, um, kind of walked through life together. And it was a life changing experience for me. And, uh, so William is now just turned twenty-one. Okay, we're still still hanging still out together. Still buds, huh? He uh, just uh, we got him to junior college. He played football for a year up in Itasca, up in Wisconsin, and decided that uh, school really wasn't for him, which is what I wanted him to figure out. Mm-hmm. And so he joined the Navy. Okay, and uh, we went up to his uh, graduation up in Chicago back during that. Uh, uh, polar ice The, the vortex? Yeah, the oh, vortex. Oh, my goodness. It was on, minus 10. On Lake Michigan? Are you yeah, kidding me? It, oh. it, was minus, oh. it was minus 10 at the graduation ceremony. But uh, to see him come out through those, the, the doors and in his Navy uniform and where he's been and all the, the, the challenges he had growing up, and uh, it was just a real satisfying experience. So now he's in San Diego getting ready to get deployed to uh, – he'll go to – Pearl Harbor. Oh, wow. Then we'll go to the Philippines, and then we'll go to Thailand, then we'll go to Australia. Oh, wow. And then back to Pearl Harbor, and I'm going, it's pretty good for a kid from Strawberry Plains to Not bad. see in the world. Not bad, so. and and you had an impact with that, with the big brothers, big uh, big yeah. sisters, I'm yeah. sure. Well, I, I hope. He, he had a big impact on my life, too. You know, I've always said, uh, when I talk about this, the clientele at the Kroger's on Broadway is much different than the clientele at the Kroger's uh, by Farragut. Mm-hmm. And all we, although we live in one city, uh, the Magnolia Avenue is different from Kingston Pike and West Knoxville. Sure. It's just different. Mm-hmm. 
And he exposed me to the challenges that some of the kids that are growing up off Magnolia have. And all he wanted, William, all he wanted was somebody that would be there for him and that he knew he could pick up the phone if he had a problem and call and that I wouldn't say, well, I'm too busy or I can't do this. Yeah, we would, somebody to rely we would, on. We would figure out mm-hmm. his problem. And um, he told me that right before he was going to the Navy, which is something that was really meant a lot to me, he said, you're the only male figure in my life that has never lied to me wow. and has always oh, told man. me they would whatever they said they were going to do, they did. And that's the whole program is that these, there's so many at-risk kids in our community. They just need somebody they can depend on because mm-hmm. there's so many people in their lives that let them down or aren't there. or and uh, well, Especially uh, father figures, yes, I think. Especially. Um, and, and William had that situation mm-hmm. going on too. So uh, anyway, he's like part well, of the family. That's sweet. Yeah. yeah, he's like part of the family. And, and uh, so he got, he got, when, he got gra- when he graduated from uh, boot camp, uh, we took him out to lunch, and uh, he was like a different kid. I mean, he's sitting up straight. Yes, sir. Really? No, sir. Oh, yeah, it's really amazing. Hey. So then he's getting on a plane to fly down to Pensacola for his training, basic training. And uh, uh, he, he uh, proposed to his girlfriend that he met at Carter. And uh, so then they got married. When he got out of his basic training before he was getting deployed to uh, San Diego, he got married down in Sarasota. So we all flew down, my daughters and and all of us flew down to, to Sarasota, great. and we're there at the wedding. And uh, it's it's just been a great experience. So I encourage anybody that uh, has a chance to become a big brother uh, because it is a life-changing experience for the little. For both. And uh-huh. for you as well. I got much more out of it than he wow. did because it, it opened my eyes to so many problems that are going on in our community that we just – you can put blinders on if you want yep. to. You can put blinders on. Well, yeah, and you can you can live in your own your own bubble, and yeah. you need to get out. You need to get out, and you need to you need to find that you can help, and it doesn't cost any money. I mean, they don't you don't have to do a bunch. Just go pick them up and take them to the mall and sit there and talk to them, yeah. or take them bowling, or take them. They just want somebody to spend time with them, and so they somebody they can talk to and depend on. So it's a great program, and I I really encourage everybody to do that. That's excellent. Well. Um, Bob, appreciate your time. What's what's the future like for for Bob Kessling? How how much gas you got left in the tank, Bob? <laughs> I like you know I still having fun doing the games. Rick Barnes has kind of uh, re-energized yeah. me a lot. He's a lot of fun to deal with, and the basketball program is. Um, I mean, this past season, I know it didn't end the way everybody wanted it to end, but there were so many high moments and so many great games and and the players to deal with. It's the most fun, mature, high character group. Uh, as a whole team, as Bert and I have dealt with, so they were a lot of fun. I, I would love to to uh, get the football team cranking back again. That would like be it, nice. Uh, we anything we can do to to help uh, <laughs> you, push that thing along. Can you get some more defensive yeah. linemen in here? That would help. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny, Tim uh, Priest. When we started doing the games, I said, Tim, I like you to uh, do the interviews after the game with the players because mm-hmm. it's going to take me a while to get down from the press box to talk to the coach. So we need you to do the player interviews in the locker room. And he said, well, I don't know about that. I said, well, you're a lawyer. You know, you know how to ask questions, and you're a former player. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you were a quarterback in high school, so you know a lot about the game. And Question the witness up there. Yes, yeah. exactly. And he knows how to ask questions without making a bunch of statements, which is what I like, too. 
So uh, I said, you need to you need to do this. And uh, so he called Archie Manning because Archie at that time was doing the New Orleans Saints games. And he would do the post-game interviews in the Saints locker room. And at that time, the Saints weren't doing really well. No. And so he goes, uh, Tim, he said, my deal with the Saints is I will go to the locker room and do the do the interviews if they win, but I'm not going. I'm not. I'm not going down there if they lose. That's a good deal. Yeah, yeah. it's a great deal. I'm not going down there if they lose. And so Tim says, "Lose? We're just coming <laughs> off a national championship. We're not. We might lose one or two games a year, but we're going to keep this thing rolling." Little did he know, the last ten years, oh, how, how tough it's been know, to we, get down we, here. We had uh, kind of a running joke on on my radio show last year about. Uh, Tim Priest's uh, slow descent into madness. <laughs> I just remember the the Florida game and the first and goal at the one, and damn it after the <laughs> and uh, that came a, a rallying cry. I told we had uh, we talked to um, Bertelkamp on the show this year when things were going so well, and I told him I was like, you really, I wish that you guys could switch just once because. We're worried about Tim. Yes. I just want him to have your experience because it's the polar opposite, the just the unbridled joy and enthusiasm of Burl Camp compared to uh, what poor Tim went through, especially in 2017, was was rough. Well, I I had to really I basically after the Vanderbilt game, I had to kind of get his attention. I said, Tim, <laughs> you have to go to the locker room. You, I don't want to go down there. I don't want to do this. Is, what am I going to ask? Oh, and seriously, oh my goodness. you just lost to Vanderbilt. What What are you going to ask him? I mean, that's oh, the it's brutal. Thing. It's been – but brighter days have got to be ahead. Brighter days are going to yeah. So as long as it's fun, you know, the games are fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, and there's a lot of things that lead up to the games and the prep work and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, I've got my prep work here for um, – Saturday, I'm still finishing up. So, you know, I enjoy it. Uh, I I still get a thrill every time they run through the tee. I still get a thrill every time uh, the team runs on the court at Thompson Bowling Arena. It's still fun to go to Rupp Arena and to Bud Walton Arena and uh, down to the, the, the Swamp and uh, the, the O-Dome and those places to do games. Uh, so I still really like it. I mean, that's been the whole thing about this whole journey has been – getting to the point where you can do the games. And um, so I've always loved it and still love it. And, uh, you know, I understand. I, I'm, I don't get on social media, so I don't I, – I, I never thought that would be helpful. That's probably the best decision, I think. You've <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, I know – because I know what was – you know, Coach Dickey, when we took the job, I came in here on July 4th, 1999 – Sat down at Stokely Athletic Center. They had I had a cubicle over there across mm-hmm. from Bud Ford's office. I didn't really know what to do. I didn't know when. What am I, I? We don't have games until September. I mean, what am I supposed to do? And and what what you find out is suddenly there's stuff for you to do. And but Coach Dickey came down that very first day, and he said, "Let's go to lunch." I said, "Okay." And we went to Naples, and I'll never forget it. Light we're, lunch, huh? Yeah, we're sitting we're sitting in the booth, and we're talking. And he's kind of laying out what he envisions me doing and what he wants me to do and how I could help him. And, you know, and is, there was some PR stuff involved and in talking to, you know, doing media relations stuff with players and things like that, which I think is, has been helpful to a lot of players um, in trying to get them to be able to interview better and, and you know, not say, oh, sure. you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so I've spent a lot of time doing that. And, uh, but I remember Coach Dickey sitting there with me and he said, now, Bob, you just got to remember, there've got to be a lot of people that are going to say that you're really good. Well, 
you're probably not as good as they say you are. And there are going to be a lot of people that say that you're really bad. And you're not really as bad as all those people say. You're somewhere in the middle. Spoken like a true football coach. Yeah. He said, you're somewhere in the middle. He said, you're not as good as those people think you are, and you're not as bad as those people think you are. You're somewhere in the middle. He said, but just let me tell you this. He said, there's only one person you got to please, and that's me. And as long as you please me, you're in good shape. And, and Coach Dickey was a – he commanded the room. Yes. He's yeah. notoriously hard to please at times. Right. And uh, But it was so comforting to me that uh, – because he made it pretty simple. He said, you know, don't worry about these guys or what everybody else is saying. He said, there are going to be people that are going to take shots at you. They're going to be – because you're not John Ward. People mm-hmm. aren't going to like you. And that's just part of the game. And it doesn't matter. He said, there are probably people that don't like Vince Kelly out there. Sure. There are probably some people that don't like Marty Brenneman that didn't like Vern Lundquist. I mean, it's – you're not going to please everybody. And uh, so, he said, as long as you please me, and I think you're doing a good job, you're, you're in good shape. So, that, that really took a lot of uh, pressure off my shoulders. And so – uh, and I think staying off social media has probably been a good thing. You, you know, if a person takes time to write me an email and put their name on it and give me a return address or they send me a letter, whether it's critical or positive, mm-hmm. I will always respond. But just to get in a Twitter war, I don't think that helps anybody. Well, yeah, and, I mean, it's just Twitter skews negative. From It's fun, but you but you got to have thick skin. Um, people say bad things to me, and it takes – I, I try not to respond. <laughs> sometimes I, you know, I do, but yeah. it's it's hard not to. So sometimes it, uh, you know. But I think if the people take time, or if they call you, you know, if a p- person picks up the phone and calls yeah. me, and gives me their and has number, a legitimate complaint, has a legitimate complaint. Hey, you 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 said this, and this is stupid, uh-huh. and I don't. And you keep doing this. Can you please not do this anymore? Uh, I will gladly take their call and listen to what they say. And if they take time to write, I've got a whole drawer full of letters of people that have written me letters, and I'll respond to those. And I'll respond to emails. But I'm not going to get on Twitter and just start firing back and forth. I just don't think that's yeah. very productive. And I just it's to me it's a waste of time. Now, there are a lot of people that live and die with it and think it's the new wave of the future, and, and well, that's it's all fine a, and It's good. a useful promotional tool, but for, for your job as, you know, yeah. people are well, going to listen and, to the game. So. Well, well, yeah, I mean, I've, I've found out that there's like 25 or 30 uh, Bob Kessling Twitter, Twitter oh, really? handles <laughs> out there, and I've never even gotten close in different Facebook posts, so there's all these fake accounts out there. Yeah. So I, I just – you know, I'm, I know I'm probably old school, but I just think there's more productive things to do. And yeah, I know a lot no, of people. No like, doubt about my, that. My kids are on it, and they they think it's yeah. great. But I just, uh, I maybe I'm too old school for that. But <laughs> I, I think it's helped my blood pressure to stay off Twitter. So that's all right, uh, last thing, yeah. and I'll get out of your office here. I appreciate you having me. Um, the first time I came to meet you, and this was in your office in Stokely uh, when I was still in school around the Pretty turn lavish of the century. over there, wasn't it? Yeah, as I recall. <laughs> um, and just the thing I remember is, uh, you know, at that time as you've been today, you were so generous with your time. Um, but I also remember you told you're – a, you're a great raconteur, Bob. You're a, a, a master storyteller. And I remember specifically uh, a couple of Bernard King stories, yeah. a couple of Peyton Manning stories. Yeah. Uh, maybe you do or don't want to tell specifically. Uh, tell me, tell me a great story for our podcast audience before I let you go about uh, a a legendary figure of the UT athletics department past. One of my favorite Peyton Manning stories of all time, um, and everybody thought everybody talks now about how 
well, gosh, you know, he's, he's so good on television and he's so funny and, you know, he's just a natural at doing that. Uh, he was going into the 97 season. And we knew that this could be a pretty good football team. And so I'm at Channel 10, and Haywood Harris calls me and says, um, we want to do some uh, interviews uh, with some of our players to let them practice because we know a bunch of them are going to get a bunch of interviews this year. Mm-hmm. And so they need to get better at that. This is during spring practice. So we have 10 players in there. We got, you know, Peerless Price and Al Wilson and uh, Deion Grant and Peyton Manning and, you know, all those guys. Laundry list of all SEC and all pros. Every, yeah. Everybody they think is going to be all SEC or, you know, have an impact on the team, they're in there. And so I talked to him about interviewing and, you know, you got to make eye contact and don't say, uh, and you know, mm-hmm. and those type things and talk in sentences, use periods, all the, you know, all the things that you, you talk about. And so I was, we got a camera, and so I'm throwing them softballs. And not to get big answers from them. I just want them to see themselves on camera. Because mm-hmm. if you see a kid that's looking around the room, you know, it's like you're shooting a free throw. It's film study. Right. If you're shooting a free throw, but you're looking around, you're going to miss the free throw. Mm-hmm. So you need to concentrate on the rim, or if you're doing an interview, you need to concentrate on the guy that's interviewing you. So it's pretty basic. Make sure. eye contact. So we went through that, and we have Al Wilson up there doing it, and we got Peerless Price, and they're all doing pretty good. Now it gets to Peyton, and I'm going to save time. I'm going, Peyton, you know, you've, you've done so many interviews. You're so good at this. Why don't you just tell them what it's going to be this year, all the attention you guys are going to get, and how you've got to be a representative of the team, that win or lose, you've got to go face the media. And he was unbelievable. He just – it was a riveting story, and – all those guys were sitting there looking at him, and you know, because they all when Peyton spoke, they all listened. Uh-huh. And I said, "Okay, we're done." And <laughs> phew, nine guys hit the door because it's you know, golf course, swimming pool, all that you know, that's uh-huh. all available because they didn't have, they had a day off spring practice. Peyton stayed. He goes, uh, "How come you didn't interview me?" I said, "Well, Peyton, you're so good at this, and I need to get better. I need to get better. Would you wow. would you work? Could you let's let's do a couple." questions here a practice interview yeah he wanted to do a practice interview so i said okay so we sat down there and he said ask me more than five or six questions i mean let's do a good long interview i said okay so i asked him a couple football questions some other questions and stuff like that we went over every word every phrase every head bob every (laughs) did did i lose eye contact we were in there for 45 minutes doing it so you do the interview, and then you watch it back with him and right. and, he's take, himself. and he's taking notes. It, it was one of the most amazing experiences uh, that I've ever been through. And uh, so then people say, well, why is he so good? Well, that's why he's so good. Yeah, just the, because it's not, it wasn't just football. It was everything that he was doing at that time. He wanted to be good in everything he did. And he knew eventually that, whether he's interviewing with an NFL general manager or if some guy with Papa John's or whatever, he was going to have to make a good impression, mm-hmm. and he wanted to be as good as he could at interviewing as he was everything else wow. he did. So isn't that a great story about uh, Peyton? Absolutely. What do you think's next for him? you think he's going the Elway route trying to go to NFL ownership, or are we going to see him on TV someday? I don't know. You know, he's, 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 he's if you start predicting what Peyton's going to do, you're going to be wrong. It's a fool's errand, huh? Yeah, because I uh, – I've always thought he would probably try and take over a team, but you know, I don't. I'm not sure he wants to. You know, failure is not part of his DNA. No. 
and uh, some of these GMs, it's a tough job. So uh, I, I just I don't know. It's uh, you would have thought that this would have been a perfect time for him to jump into Monday Night Football, but uh, that that's not an easy gig either. I mean, to, you know, Tony Romo made it look so effortless. Uh-huh. You know, just stepping right in. With Boy, Jim. he's fantastic. But a lot of that has to do too with uh, Jim Nance. Okay. Because I think Jim Nance just sets him up perfectly. I mean, Nance takes a back seat to Tony Romo to make sure that Tony is doing what he's supposed to do. And I, I always thought when I was doing the Jefferson Pilot games, and I still think so right now, that the most important voice on a broadcast is really the analyst because they're telling you what's going on. So my job is to set up Bert, and my job is to set up Tim Priest. And when I was doing JP, my job was to set up Dave Rowe and who else I had. Because I thought their biggest job – I mean, if you go back and look at Pat Summerall and John Madden, why was John Madden so good with Pat Summerall and wasn't very good with some of those other guys? Because Summerall kept setting him up. Yeah. It was all about Madden. And the better Madden looked, the more good things they said about Summerall. And so I've always had that philosophy. The play-by-play guy in a broadcast, your job is to down and distance, score, uh, you know, who caught the pass – but your job is to make sure that your analyst has a chance to tell you what's going on in the game. Let and, the color guy add the color. Right. And I think that uh, I think Jim Nance is masterful with Romo, and I, he doesn't get enough credit. And I think the other problem with, uh, uh, with Jason Witten was the fact that uh, his color guy didn't help him very much. You know, Joe Testatore, which is he's a really good guy and I think a good broadcaster, but I don't think he set up. He's, now, he had a tough job, too. He had two he's two. relatively new to it. I mean, people forget Nance has been at it forever. He's been at it forever. And uh, and he also had a lot of good guys to train him sure. how to do things, too. Well, Pat Summerall yeah. trained him. So I'm sure Pat's, Pat Summerall had the same you know talk with him about how he set up Madden, mm-hmm. how you need to set up your color guys. And um, But, you know, Joe had a tough job because they had the 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 – floating camera and they had you know jason witten's now it's become such a uh over the top production yeah now. and so joe was trying to mesh all that i thought joe had a tough job sure. too but i i just don't think uh joe and jason it just didn't mesh very well and uh, i just think that the play-by-play guy in that situation really has to back out and make sure the color guys uh, get their their due uh time to to do what they do and i'm sure if jason ever gets another chance in a different situation, it'll be much better because he's a bright guy, and I thought I thought he added some sure. stuff, but he just didn't. Yeah, he'll get another shot. I mean, he's going to play yeah. for another year but, or two, and yeah, the whole thing just didn't work. It didn't work from the start, and it did, and it never got any better. Well, you're gonna your first broadcasting gig is Monday Night Football replacing John Gruden. Yes, yes, no yeah. pressure. No, <laughs> no, no, and uh, you know, and Gruden Gruden was such a big time character, and but they gave him a chance to. To, to be John Gruden, mm-hmm. and that's they needed to let Jason Witten be Jason Witten. They just never really mm-hmm. did that. Well, uh, speaking of Jim Nance, we're, we're taping this on, on Masters Thursday. we got to go and, and watch Jim, the, <laughs> yes. the dulcet tones from Augusta. <laughs> Hello, friends. So, uh, so, Bob, uh, it's really great seeing you. Thanks so much. It's, Russell, thanks. This has been fun. All right, great to be with you. Thank you. All right, there it is, episode one in the books. Like I said in the opening, going to try to crank one of these out every week or so. Just depends on how long it takes to book them and then making the time to get them recorded. So I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, be sure to tell a friend. If you didn't, hey, keep your opinion to yourself, please.
Until next time, this is Russell Smith on the Russell Smith Podcast. Thanks for checking it out.